Welcome to Three Things Podcast. In this show, we talk about three things every episode, and I am Andre. And I'm Lisa. Yes, welcome Lisa, and we take turns taking the lead on these shows. First off, welcome to our first show for the new year. If you new year, no wait, if you are new year, <laughs> go back and go listen to our previous episodes. So what we do is we randomly pick three topics that interest each of us, and we discuss it in a light-hearted and fun way. Sometimes we make sense, sometimes we just entertain ourselves, but... Hopefully we entertain you too in the process. Hopefully we entertain you too in the process. Uh, as it's a new year, we're going to start off with a few interesting... Ooh, actually, I've got a perfect one that matches a typical New Year's resolution. Okay. Right. Have you heard of white fat and brown fat? Well, I know that brown fat looks better than white fat. <laughs> okay, I think you might have these... Um... <laughs> okay, don't mess my time, by the way. Guys, we try and keep this under 20 minutes. So brown fat, what Lisa refers to... I'm as... saying if you're suntanned, you look better than if you're just plain paisley white and fat. <laughs> okay, so you're talking about a, a suntanned fat person versus a pale fat person. Yes. All right. Look, I'm not going to argue with that, but it's to his own. But no, in this case, we talk about brown fat. And white fat. So humans have several types of fat. Yes. In case you don't know, white fat stores extra energy. Too much white fat, which is a characteristic of obesity, increases your risk of type 2 diabetes. Ah, oh, okay. Whereas brown fat, haha, burns chemical energy to create heat and help maintain body temperature. Now, my first Ooh, thing of the this day. This is interesting. My first thing of the day is not to teach you about brown fat and white fat, but you do need to get out in the sun anyway. The the <laughs> It, what I want to teach you, no, what I want to tell you today is that research is showing that cool temperature alters metabolism. Okay, being in a cooler climate. Oh, you see. So there we, was a team of researchers uh, in Virginia Commonwealth University, and they explored the effects of ambient temperature on brown fat and metabolism. Okay, this is interesting. What did they find? No. Let's let's before we dig into the details here, and I'll tell you what the research uh, was about. When we go to bed at night and you sleep, what's your most comfortable sleeping temperature? About eighteen or nineteen degrees Celsius. I think. Eighteen or nineteen degrees Celsius. So there's a big difference between being too cold and obviously mm -hmm. it's quite easy to get too hot when you sleep. And that's actually worse for you than being too cold. It's better well, to be it, slightly cool. Is that correct? Why, why do you think that is? I why do we think no is, is this idea. because you're uncomfortable and you sweat yourself? To sleep. I think so. Well, I think maybe because we sleep underneath a covering, so you can always cuddle and kind of think <laughs> yourself warmer. <laughs> Whereas right. once you're hot, okay. you get sweaty. And... You're thinking about the, uh, the non-chemical and non-scientific ways for yes. reasons why you prefer cold or cooler weather. That's true. But let's be honest. Okay. If it's really cold, it's, it, it can be quite uncomfortable in the bed oh, because there are things you can't stick your nose out if it's too bloody cold. All right, so anyway, what these guys did was they took healthy men and they took them, put them for four months in a research unit. And these guys engaged in regular activities during the day and at night they went to a private room uh, for sleeping. They only did this with males? Because yeah. I'm going to immediately object against that because we all know that men never get cold. Okay, so, <laughs> well, obviously this is just an interesting um, experiment. But so what happened was they were exposed to different temperatures for the duration of this experiment. So for okay. the first month, okay, they, the room temperature was set to 24 degrees Celsius. Wow, that's and quite warm. 
The second month it was dropped to mm -hmm. 19 degrees Celsius. Okay. The third month it was increased back to 24 degrees Celsius. Ooh. And for the final month, it was raised to 27 degrees Celsius. Wow. Okay. So there's quite a big difference. And they were exposed to these temperatures for at least 10 hours each night. They only had bed sheets and they wore standard hospital clothing. Meals were provided. Mm -hmm. So they were, there was some control with regards to calorie and nutrient content and consumption was actually monitored. So I actually lived in this habitat. Mm -hmm. No one sent home and asked to monitor certain okay. things. And after each month, the men underwent these evaluations and they checked like muscle, uh, energy expenditures, did fat biopsies, did PET scans, CT scans of neck, upper back, to actually monitor the brown fat volume and the activity. So, what do you think happened? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> this is the interesting part, okay? After a month of exposure to mild cold. So that's the 18, 19 degrees. The participants had a 42% increase in brown fat volume. Oh, wow. So they got fatter. Okay. <laughs> but they didn't get fatter. The brown was, fat just increased in volume relatively to the white fat. I was going to say, now, does the white fat change to brown fat or is it an addition? Is it I a am change? Not sure. I'm can, not sure. Can these fats, are they interchangeable? Is it like, or is it like good and bad HDLs and <laughs> cholesterol? It seems like whatever happened was uh, the increase. Okay, so just, just check, going back to these different um, temperature ranges. So um, the following month of neutral temperature, the alterations went back to the original baseline. Okay, and then when it heated up to 27 degrees, did their, fat, their brown fat melt away? It was completely reversed. Wow. So the brown fat actually decreased in volume and they had a decrease in fat metabolic activity when they were sleeping under warmer conditions. Okay, so I'm going to say that we should sleep in hotter climates. We just no. figured out how to... No, you should sleep in colder climates. You said it increased in colder climates. No, the opposite happened. I said, the, but the brown fat's good. Oh, the brown fat's good. Oh, we want you the brown fat. Okay, Lisa. sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> the brown fat's the good stuff. It, brown fat burns chemical energy to create heat and help maintain body temperature. Okay, so we actually want this brown fat. Yeah. So bottom line is, the cool fact thing I want to share with you is, we should sleep under colder conditions, ideally 18 degrees Celsius. Which is actually then increases our brown fat, which is a good thing for metabolism. Well, the findings sort of suggest that we acclimatize to this cool temperature by increasing our brown ah. fat, which in turn lead to certain improvements in the way uh, glucose is metabolized. Okay, now that makes sense. That's right. And the moment you're actually exposed to warmer temperatures consistently, mm. it reverses that benefit. Yes. So ideally, um, you know, we, we, don't, we don't know whether this research means that that's a way to manipulate brown fat to grow and shrink. Mm. So it's just preliminary at the moment. But the huh. whole goal of this research is actually to improve um, uh, insulin sensitivity with regards to the metabolism uh, by this brown fat. Mm. Okay, very so, interesting. So brown fat might be, what do you say? Brown fat's better than white fat. Brown fat is better than white fat. <laughs> Both on the inside and exactly, on the outside. <laughs> exactly. So we, we need more brown fat. Okay. And I like a good that. way to get more brown fat is exposure to gold. There's an interesting side note uh, is the Wim Hof method. Oh gosh, don't get on just on the method. That might actually play on this whole brown fat thing. It might. Where it increases your, your metabolism, increases your brown exposure to cold. So for you guys who don't know, check it out. You've probably heard of Wim Hof. 
Tom Hobson's famous, I don't know, extreme athlete who ran marathons across the ice cap and all, all kinds of crazy things. And he's developed this, this method where it combines exposure to extreme colds with breathing exercises to sort of control your, your metabolism, it seems. So uh, let's move on to our next thing. Okay. Slightly less exciting. So if you guys have got some New Year's resolutions. Sleep cold. Sleep cold. It's going to help. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's going to be more healthy and you're going to get more brown fat and you're hopefully going to actually have better metabolism. So hopefully you're going to lose some weight in the process. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. Now, let's move on to our new thing. Have you ever heard of Kopi Luwak? Yes. <laughs> Kopi Luwak. I have indeed. It's coffee. <laughs> yes, Kopi Luwak is a very, very famous coffee, and it's like it's called civet coffee. Yes, and the civet is a little, I don't know, what do we call it's, him? Uh, I guess like a rodent? Like He's a cat-like cat -like creature, rodent. I guess. Like a raccoony, catty, yes. it's a civet. And if you don't know, Kopi Luwak is, is quite, fa uh, quite a famous coffee. What they do is they actually... Slightly controversial too. Well, it could be, I suppose it could be. So they give the, the coffee beans to the, these civets and they ingest them and they excrete them in a normal way. And the theory is that the, I don't know, the way the... Digestive juices or something. I, I don't know. It's something to do with the fermentation that breaks down the cellulose in the coffee bean or something. And anyway, so this, they pick up the coffee bean afterwards and they make this very expensive coffee to But, so what I want to share with you today is the new... Ooh, new Kopi Luwak. The new Kopi Luwak. Because before you do that, isn't it also a little bit, sort of, they say, is it about the coffee bean or does the civet go and seek out the better bean? Is it about the process that happens within the animal or does he actually have this sniffing sense like a truffle dog? I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, um, they do claim that. I have, mm. I have looked into that they are these claims Combination that the of the two things. cat will look for the better quality bean and mm. that will ultimately produce a better quality coffee and that in combination with the digestive juices. Okay, so what's the uh, new copy look? Because hopefully mm. this doesn't have to go through some animal's digestive tract because I right. can see that anything that doesn't might be more popular. So a Japanese brewery, 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 <laughs> gave another idea and they gave coffee beans to elephants. Oh, okay. All right. And I know what you're thinking. They can what, do this a lot faster why, than the civet. <laughs> why, would they, why would they give coffee beans to elephants? And it's got nothing to do with coffee because they actually make beer. Okay. Yes. So you can have elephant dung beer. No. Yes. So. Okay, wait. They feed the elephants coffee beans in order to make coffee. What? Elephant dung beer. So they feed the beans to the elephant. And they claim this technique breaks down proteins in the coffee bean, which gives the beer a smooth, earthy flavor. You know? Okay, well, I'm going to guess that anything brewed from dung is going to have a somewhat earthy flavor. So the bees itself, these beans, so obviously the, the elephants aren't in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so they get these beans. It's a Japanese uh, brewery, um, Sankt Gallen called, and... The beer they're making is Unkolokuro. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Oh, this sounds quite cool. So they get their beans from Thailand. Okay. And apparently the, these beans in Thailand, where they, they source these beans from, these guys also make um, an elephant dung coffee. Okay. So exactly like the civet coffee, 
they they send these beans through the digestive tract of an elephant, and then they make coffee from the elephant digested beans. Okay. But now they've advanced this technique and they're shipping these beans off to this Japanese brewery to make. Once they've been through the elephant. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> so they say they say the coffee. Okay, we're talking about the elephant coffee. <laughs> We're gonna get back to the beer in a minute. Coffee. The coffee, okay, the coffee. I quote this them with notes of chocolate, malt, spice, a hint of grass. <laughs> Without the burn or bitter taste of regular coffee, black ivory coffee will be the most distinctive cup you've ever tried. And the coffee is made in Thailand. The beans are harvested and sent through an elephant in Thailand, yes. And wow, and then the beans, the beans are then sent to Japan, to the brewery, to make the, the beer. The beer, that's correct. Uh, wow. So these beans are called black ivory and comes from sort of the Golden Triangle Elephant Foundation in Thailand, which is the same guys who does the very, very expensive black ivory coffee. But now, um, the, 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 just back to the beer for a second, because that's actually the more interesting part. So what they say about these beer is that combination of bitter and sweet creates for a unique but familiar aroma. <laughs> Very interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about coffee bean beer. Coffee bean beer. Okay. But it sounds interesting. So I think an interesting uh, argument to be made is that elephants, unlike humans, or civets, are herbivores. Yes, I somehow feel like I feel better with a bean going through an elephant's digestive tract than I do going so through civet. a rodent or a civet or, yes. They, they, and I'm sure it's much more um, efficient too. <laughs> so Black Ivory says uh, the elephants eat a lot of grass and a lot of green leafy matter and as herbivores, to break that down, utilize some form of fermentation process mm -hmm. that actually breaks down the cellulose in the, um, the material they consume. And fermentation is great for things like wine or beer or coffee. Okay. Because it brings out the sugar in the bean. Mm. And it helps import the fruit from the coffee pop into the bean. Maybe that's what so takes the, away the, the bitterness then as well. Exactly. Okay. And that fermentation, the, the, that fermentation that helps the bitterness is what makes the coffee so unique. Hmm. So is there a preferential order in tasting the coffee first and then the beer? Or <laughs> I want, I'm, I'm more curious how would you, or whether you, what kind of difference you would discern if you have the, the Kopi Luwak, the civet coffee, and then the uh, black ivory, the, ivory. the elephant coffee. Uh, would hmm. it be very, very obvious that these mm. two things are different? Now, we've also We've tried ourselves. the Kopi and haven't really said that we can taste that it's something so unique. But, but I guess it also depends on how you brew it. And also how discerning your taste buds yes. are. And also, I, I, I think if, you, if any of you guys have traveled in parts of Southeast Asia, you do see Kopi for sale. Mm. And you have to sort of wonder as to the authenticity, unless you actually go to a farm mm. where they produce it. And it's of good and quality. certified that mm. you may, may not actually get the real product. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Absolutely. But oh. now we have to go for, so. That's just, a very just, interesting thing too. Just, just lastly, you know what it costs for a cup of elephant coffee? Well, it's got to be cheaper than Kapiloak, I would have said. I don't know, probably. Okay. So this is you in Thailand? Because, because the elephant might be able to consume more beans at a yes, time. Yes, I would think so. Okay, so... And I mean, you don't have to go running after an elephant or trying to find its dung. I think it should be quite easy. Yeah, so you will, you will pay around 50 US dollars for a cup of elephant Whoa. coffee. Okay, crazy. that's quite crazy. And unfortunately... We won't be paying that then. We probably won't find that beer 
in the supermarket no. soon. It's uh, you'll only find it in Japan. It's, I think it's only a craft beer. We've always uh, said we wanted to go back to Japan, so now we can add something to the list of what we need to see and do there. Uh, let me get back to you on that. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our last thing of the day. We're having fun here. The last thing we're staying with the animal planet. <laughs> now, this is something that's actually close to every our hearts as well because we like pets. Yes, we yes. do, especially cats. Wow. Has this got to do with cats? It has got to do with cats. <laughs> and the thing that I want to talk to you about is that there's a council in Australia. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not sure exactly. I think it's Fremantle in Western Australia. Are proposing to ban cats outside <gasps> unless they're on a lead. Or a what? Lead. Yes. In a specific city or in general? So, at the moment, it's a, a municipal area, or a, okay. I guess it would be a city, and it, it, it will be implemented in all council-controlled and owned oh areas. Word. So, it'll be roads, verges, bushlands, yeah. parks, and the idea is that um, this is twofold, obviously. They're trying to protect wildlife, okay. firstly, and remove the risk of the cats actually being hit. Mm. So this is just a sort of a further level of the domestication of animals that we've introduced into society. Well, if you think about it, in the 70s, not too long ago, all domestic dogs, dogs would roam our streets. Mm. This is what I'm saying. Really. It's just one more step further, really, is saying that, well, cats, this is your domestic animal, keep it inside. And obviously why this is slightly controversial is that it's actually quite hard to control a cat. It is. But... This is the most important takeaway here. Domestic cats are a recognized threat to global biodiversity. Mm. Cats have contributed to the extinction of 63 species. Mm. Mm. In the of United States alone. Or a, all species. Oh, that's is mammals, that birds, birds reptiles. They, mm. they don't discriminate. <laughs> <laughs> so in the United States alone, outdoor cats kill approximately... It's going to be terrible. I know this. 2.4 billion mm. birds every year. I know, it really is terrible. billion birds. I think the problem is that a cat, it's not like some other animals where they're either wild or domesticated. A cat can sort of cross those boundaries. So it will come to you for food and it can be your domestic animal, but it really isn't. It's actually so so wild and free. Even so, even well-fed domesticated cats will hunt and will kill. Yes. Because they don't do it because they're hungry. Mm. (laughs) They don't have to. And most cat owners have observed that kind of mm. behavior. And when a cat plays with a toy or a laser pointer, mm. it's actually practicing instinct. predatory behavior and instincts. Quite mm. right. And unfortunately, outdoors, it's always going to try and hunt something. I wonder if over time, if this does come into play, whether the nature of a cat will actually change. If you look at a lot of animals, this does happen over centuries where they become domesticated and their nature actually changes. Well, we're probably already seeing that where, you know, if you if you sort of force restrictions on domestic mm. uh, pets, especially like cats, if you if they make if you make them indoor, look, a lot I of mean, there's a the lot world, of indoor cats. You don't have a choice because exactly. if you let them outside, something's going to eat them. Or they're going to be driven over. Of course, if you live in a in a built up area, yes. but like there's parts of North America, if you let them out, the coyotes mm. will eat them in five seconds. Or if you stay in a place where you're in an apartment building, I mean, a cat is one of the few animals or pets that you can keep. 
yeah. in a small space if you don't, and not no, let it out with a little if, box it's easy enough if you don't mind hair and the smell of uh, cat a kid's little box <laughs> oh, naughty. save me from that this is the thing i think we as pet owners sometimes want the best of both worlds you mm -hmm. you 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 want a cat to go out there and go do, do his cat business thing. outside you go do your cat thing go play outside and catch just, a mouse don't bring it inside don't bring it in but you know it's it's like the presence of cats outdoors is really uh causing significant impact mm. to, to to wildlife and there's a uh, why was originally paralyzed for birds because there were there was no there was no cats mm. on the whole any of the islands and as you and unfortunately the introduction of cats to those islands and this is we're talking about 300 years ago have resulted in absolute devastation of um, certain wildlife specifically mm. uh, endangered species like um, birds and many other reptiles has, has, has really become a big problem so this is a this is an ongoing concern, and I guess if you care about your cat, you should really not let him catch other animals. Mm -hmm. Not as easy. You need to then actually control where it goes. That's the thing. I think the last thing I want to leave you with. Oh, oh that's, that's our timer. Last thing I'll leave you is that the numbers have shown that um, urban cats kill thirty times more than adult cats who live in the bush. Wow, that's interesting. So it's like that deprivation of something, the stimulus, and then when they get it, they go crazy. It becomes more of a game, I guess. Mm. It's not just for survival. survival. It's like they don't... So maybe this isn't the right approach. Maybe the right approach is to let them well, run uh, they, loose. Indiscriminate. Mm. They don't say, oh, I'm only going to catch the vermin. That mm. might pose a danger. We kill everything and we don't even eat it. Hmm. All right, guys. Oh. So... Either way, we'll have to get a cat to put the series to test. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know if I want a litter box in my house. My, my camper. Van. My camper van. <laughs> Guys, thanks for joining us once again. Uh, we try to do these sh little shows two or three times a week. And when we have a few moments, but it's just fun. This is totally unedited, unscripted. And maybe you learn something, maybe you don't. And uh, thanks, Lisa. Thanks, for joining. That was pretty interesting. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's hopefully better than boring. So we'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Bye.